Welcome to another message from Citizen Heights. We are located in the nation's capital where our heart is to inspire hope, remove limitations, and help you experience God's possible for your life. Join pastors Michael and Heather Jarreau and their passion to help you live out your best life. We hope you enjoyed today's encouraging and uplifting message. Good morning, Citizen Heights. How are y'all doing this morning? I am doing well. Are you enjoying the cold? Yeah, like a few of you are. That is awesome. I love the cold. I said first experience. I think one of my favorite things about D.C. is that we have four seasons. I do wish that our winter was a little more winter. That's the only thing I would say. Yeah, if we had snow just a couple of more times, like... You know, one just like, that one we had like three feet of snow a few years back. It was so cool. Yeah. Um, Spending four hours trying to snow blow the road so that I could get to the hospital was not my favorite part of that experience. But um, but yeah, I like the cold for sure. Uh, Would you uh, join me in saying goodbye to our citizen kids? You are all dismissed. We love our citizen kids here. I do want to give a shout out to all of our Citizen Kids teachers and leaders. You guys are amazing. What I love is that you do not think that this is a babysitting opportunity, but you guys are passionate about teaching them the Word of God and love for Jesus. You guys are amazing, so thank you for all of the work that you do. I also want to welcome CH Live, those of you that are joining us online. You can give a better shout out than that. I know you can. All right. Excellent. Welcome. So we're continuing our kingdom series today, what the Bible teaches about heaven, hell, and uh, how we live our life now. I have loved this series. I don't know about you. Um, For those of you that know me, uh, I have been told that I'm a bit of a focused, driven, um, hyper-focused individual. I know. It's a surprise. Hashtag understatement of the year. Um, just yesterday, uh, I was at the mall because um, my lovely daughter Ashley, Ashley was helping me pick out my awesome new outfit. Um, and uh, my wife was coming later, and uh, we had to do a um, phone call with somebody. And so she was coming to the mall. I was leaving the mall. And apparently this was happening at the same time because she was honk. She was like three places away from me, honking the horn, yelling at me, David, David. I heard some honking and noise in the background, but I figured it had nothing to do with me. I was focused on my task, getting home. I have more preparations to do. What is this commotion over there? I will easily ignore commotion over there and do my job. It's just who I am. And uh, I appreciate this series because sometimes I think in life it's good for us to take that step back. You know, I can be very focused on what's going on. What's my next task? What's the next thing? What's the next day? What's the next week? What's the next month have in front of me? And the kingdom series is that step back and saying, you know, what really, really, really matters? Not just the tyranny of the urgent today or tomorrow or the next week, but What really matters going forward? Because really, this is a series about our destinies. And the big picture matters. So what have we gone through so far? Week one, we were reminded uh, that there are two kingdoms, that these kingdoms are at war. 
We have the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. And we learned about eternity, that our souls are not just here for this brief existence on earth, but that we have an eternity, all of us, and that our destiny hangs in the balance. And we learned that eternity is not just a really, 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 really long time. That really eternity is the absence of time and it goes on and on and on and on and that it deserves our thoughtfulness and our attention. Last week in week two, Pastor Michael addressed the question of, don't we all really go to heaven anyways? Isn't it all just like, you know, we do our thing and we figure out what's, what works best for you? And we t- learned about two different versions of universalism or pluralism, this idea that all roads lead to heaven. And, you know, even Pastor Michael admitted that, that there's times when he kind of wishes it were true, right? I mean, it seems more palatable. It seems a kinder, gentler uh, version of the truth. Um, the problem is, is that it doesn't match what the Bible says. That's not what God says. So now we come to week three, the doctrine of hell and the kingdom of darkness. And it falls upon me. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians verse 3. Or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 18. I'd refer to your app as well. If you haven't downloaded the church app, please go ahead and do that. There's so much awesome information on there. Keep you up to date on what's going on. There's a section in there where you can read the Bible. There's a section in there where you can follow along on notes every Sunday. You can go back if you've missed. Last week, there were some amazing bonus notes at the end of it that if you want to read, you should definitely. Uh, Also on there, I'd encourage you to hit the subscribe button because then you get access to the weekly email that will keep you up to date on what's going on. So are you with me? Philippians 3. We'll start in verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears. I love that Paul says that. He's got tears in his eyes even as he addresses this topic. Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word tackles even the hard topics or that there's nothing that you shy away from. And Father, as we come to this challenging topic, God, we pray that that you would reveal yourself to us. God, that we would hear what you have to say. Jesus, that you would open our hearts to receive from you, our ears to hear from you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many people love the internet? The internet's pretty cool, right? How many people remember life before the internet? More than I thought, actually. And this was the first experience, too. Like, I expected almost nobody to remember life before the Internet. I remember life before the Internet. In fact, I very specifically remember the very first time that I went to the Internet. Anybody here remember that? Yeah, I think I lost a few now. So I remember it clear as day. It was second year of med school. I was sitting in the the back right, and a buddy of mine in front of me was talking about this article that he had read online on this website called ESPN. And it was a fascinating article that he was talking about. And I had watched ESPN, but 
I didn't know there was ESPN online that I could get access to. And I was like, well, how do I do that? And he's like, oh, well, you just type in this email or this, uh, this address and it'll take you to it. And he had written down the whole thing. And I had no idea. So I'm copying it down. H-T-T-P colon. How many slashes? Which way do they go? And, and then the dot zero zero one nine ampersand backslash. The whole thing. I mean, it's like th 37 characters long. So I go to the library because that was the only computer that I had access to. And I'm typing it in. I think probably the first three times I got some number trans formed and moved and finally I get to this miraculous thing called the internet and I get to read this awesome article about college basketball. It was March Madness. It was an important time to know about college basketball. Um, you know, nowadays the internet is a source of a lot of arguments. Um, if you, you agree with me on that. Uh, but did you remember that at, there was a time when the internet actually solved more arguments than, than it started? Because when I was growing up, hanging out with our buddies, and a certain topic would come up. I don't know, like what year a movie came out, or which artist had recorded a certain song, or who it was that caught the winning touchdown in Super Bowl XXII. And man, we would argue about it, and we would argue about it, and we would be very passionate and sincere in our beliefs. Um, and the arguments could go on really for days, because none of us were a good source, and none of us had access really to the information, because let's be honest, we're not going to go to the, to solve this kind of an argument, we're not going to the library and finding the card catalog and pulling it out and then going and getting the microfish. Yeah, some of you are staring at me like, you have no idea what I'm talking about. This is the only way you used to be get be able to get information like this, and we're not we're not going through all of that just to solve the argument of what year did this movie come out. So, so that was the first iteration of the internet. And then over time, we began to realize that, yes, the internet has a lot of really good information on it, but it also has a lot of really bad information on it. Yeah. And, and apparently, your source matters. And apparently, not everything on the internet is true. I know. It's a shock to all of us. So let me give you a really fun example of this. In 2008, there was a reporter who was going through his daily files, all the information that came to him, and, and uh, he was getting ready uh, his report that he was going to send into Bloomberg News, the company that he worked for. So he comes across, across this piece of information that United Airlines was in the process of filing for bankruptcy. That's pretty important information if you're a financial news analyst. So he takes all of that and it gets stamped with today's date because that's when he finds the information. He sends it into Bloomberg News. Bloomberg News goes, well, this is a big deal. So we definitely want to be on time with this information. They publish the information on their website. Immediately, stocks go crazy. Within minutes, 15 million shares are jettisoned, and the price of the stock goes down 75% within minutes. Here's the drop. This is the actual picture from 2008. So much so that the stock market goes, wait, what's going on here? They stop trading for over an hour while they try to figure out what's going on. You can see that eventually it goes back up. So here's the problem with this story. It wasn't true. United Airlines was not filing for bankruptcy. Uh, 
In fact, what was really the problem is that the information was six years old. It was happening at some point, but really the story should have been published in 2002, shortly after 9-11, when a lot of airline companies were thinking about uh, 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 filing for bankruptcy. So as it turns out, our source matters. And having good information makes a big difference in, in what happens. And if we have bad information, if we have information from a bad source, sometimes we get ourselves into trouble. So we come to week three in the kingdom series. Today is about the doctrine of hell and the kingdom of darkness. And our source matters. Where we get the information that we base our doctrine on, our theology on, our understanding of this, it matters where we get this information. Because as it turns out, it, it doesn't really matter what my opinion is. It doesn't really matter what we hope to be true. It matters what Jesus says about it. You know, this is, this is not about our imagination. It's not about fairy tales. It's, it's not about assumptions. It's not about what Hollywood might show or what authors like Origen or Dante might tell us or what heavy metal lyrics might laugh about. Apparently, it matters that we have the right source when we are getting this information. Because the truth is, is that if hell is real, it is one of the most important doctrines for us to understand. Because it's not just about a doctrine, is it? Because really, it's about a destiny. It's about your destiny. It's about my destiny. It's about my coworker's destiny. It's about my neighbor's destiny. It's about the barista at Starbucks or Pete Coffee's destiny. It's about destinies, not just doctrine. And so if it's that important, let's make sure we know what the Bible says about it. That we know what Jesus said about it. So today we really just have one simple two-part question that we're going to answer. And that is, what did Jesus and his disciples say about hell? Are you ready? Awesome. So Jesus uses the word Gehenna, which is usually translated hell 12 times in the Gospels. But in numerous other places, he uses images of fire and darkness in the context of punishment after final judgment. And the truth is that Jesus had a lot to say about hell. You know, we hear a lot about the mercy and truth and forgiveness and all of that, which is great. And Jesus spoke a lot about those things, but he did not back away from the subject of hell and damnation and judgment. He talked about it a lot because he knew that people needed to understand it, and we need to understand it. So let's go through a few examples of how Jesus said it and what he said specifically about hell. Matthew 5:22, Jesus said, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, that's a pretty high bar, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Matthew 13, 30, he says, bind them in bundles to be burned. Matthew 13, 40 to 42, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 8, verse 12, he says that they will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 31 to 32, 41 and 46. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, 
and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. They will say, then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, and these will go away into eternal punishment. If you're like me, at this point you're like, Whoa, Jesus, come on now. That's a bit rough. That's a bit heavy. Can we back down just a little bit? Like, can we go back to the forgiveness and mercy and all of that stuff? That was really good. Uh, remember when you, like, heal people? Let's go back to that. That's awesome. I love it when you heal people. People get really excited when you heal people. Like, there's bigger crowds when you heal people. Remember when you fed 5,000 people with like two loaves and five fishes, or maybe it's the other way around. I get it backwards. That was awesome. Let's do that again. Turning water into wine. That was fantastic. I definitely recommend that you do that again. Let's turn some stones into Popeye's chicken sandwiches, because then we will get a huge crowd. In fact, you know what, Jesus? I think that you need an image manager, and I would like to volunteer for the job, right? I mean, that's what we're thinking. I know that's what I'm thinking. But Jesus didn't back away from the topic. Because he knew that we needed to know. You know, it's clear historically that the, the Jewish people of Jesus' time believed in a literal, physical, not allegorical, not metaphorical hell. And we know that Jesus was not afraid to back down wrong theology because he did it many times. And if Jesus didn't agree with that theology, he would have made it very clear that he did not agree with that theology. But instead of backing them down, he did the opposite, and he actually leaned into it. He did not back down from discussing hell. He actually talked about it a lot. And it's clear when we read his words that hell is a real place, that it's a place for punishment after final judgment, that it is a place of torment and pain, and that it's eternal. So what did Jesus' followers say about hell? Well, let's go to Paul first. Paul, in his 13 epistles, speaks often about the fate of the wicked and judgment of the ungodly, using words like perish and destroy and wrath and punish. In fact, he uses those words over 80 times in his 13 epistles. To give us perspective on that, if you add up all the times that he talks about forgiveness and mercy and grace, it doesn't even come close to 80 times. So Paul actually talked about judgment more than he talked about forgiveness. He didn't shy away from the topic because Jesus didn't shy away from the topic. But what are Paul's credentials, you might be saying? Is he a legitimate source? Can we really listen to what he has to say? Well, he only planted 14 churches at least, some say as many as 20 three long, successful missionary journeys to at least 53 cities, witnessing directly to the most influential industry leaders in Corinth, the most important thought leaders in Athens, the most powerful military leaders in Rome, including Caesar himself, all while writing almost half of the New Testament. And he had a lot to say about hell. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 through 9, he says it this way, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. 
you know, I can't help but think if, if we know what Jesus knew, and if we know what Paul knew, that it will change our lives, right? It's going to change how we live. It's going to change our perspective. It's going to change how we view the world. It's going to change how we view people. What did Peter have to say? Second Peter chapter 2 speaks frequently of the fate of the ungodly. And again, using words like destruction and punishment and judgment and condemnation and hell and retribution and suffering, not nice, easy to swallow words. In 2 Peter 2 verse 17, hell is described as a place of gloom and utter darkness. It's no wonder that Paul was so motivated to share the gospel. It's no wonder that it didn't put a passion in him to make sure that all knew the good news of the gospel. And even the threat of Nero couldn't stop him. And in fact, he declared the good news of the gospel all the way up until the time that he was crucified, ironically only a few short months before Rome burned to the ground. His life ministry was to ensure that people escaped the fires of hell. You know, and I, I can't help but think, especially as I prepared for today, about how much of my life and time I spend focused on now, focused on today, focused on tomorrow, or the really long view in my mind of a month from now or a year from now or two years from now or five years from now, when really I think that sometimes we need to make sure we are spending a little more time thinking about eternity and where we are going to spend our eternity. That should be foremost on our minds. Let's go through a couple of more. Jude frequently speaks of God's judgment of the ungodly. In verse 7, talks about the punishment of eternal fire. In verse 13, the gloom of utter darkness. John, in Revelation, speaks a lot about hell. Revelation 14, 9 through 11, and the smoke of their torment, go, torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. 20, verse 20, the devil was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. 20, verse 12, then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. 20, verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what can we conclude from all of this? Well, I think we can conclude that the Bible is very clear that hell is a real place. And it's a terrible place of eternal suffering and darkness and torment and that all who are not followers of Christ are destined to go there. If you believe the Bible, if you believe the words of Jesus are true, then this is an unavoidable, undeniable truth. And it's one that simply must penetrate our hearts. You know, we, we started with the question today of what is your source? And uh, I want to, by way of illustration, show some pictures from what I think is a bad source. Some of you know I'm a doc. And uh, so we're going to go through some anatomy pictures from actual textbooks that were once taught. But I would argue are not very good sources. So here's one. Right? I mean, you're not a doc, maybe, or you maybe didn't study anatomy, but I think you can look at this and go, uh, what? I've never seen a chin quite, I mean, some people have some pretty sharp chins, but that, and, and the hands like go way below the knee, and um, 
I'm not sure that I can say the word pelvis in church, but I don't know what is going on with that pelvis. That is funky. And, and then we have this one. This, one's, this one is from the 1800s, right? So this is like pretty recent, relatively speaking. And uh, there's some f- little bit more accurate. Some of this stuff is okay. That is the weirdest liver. It looks like an eagle claw is grabbing a ball in the middle of the abdomen, which I think is supposed to be the stomach. That's not where the kidneys go, and they're definitely bigger than that. Um, and then this next one is just, I don't even know what to say about this one. Because it... Like, have you ever seen the inside of any mammal creature of some sort? I I don't know what those are. There's too many organs. They're definitely in the wrong place. Not a good source. If you're trying to study medicine, if you want to know something about anatomy, do not go to this picture. So now I want to introduce you to someone that if you're a doc in this room, if you're a PA or a nurse, you've probably heard this name. His name is Frank Netter. Somebody has heard. It's one of those names that we say with hushed tones and reverence in the halls of medicine. I happen to have it here. Let's look at a couple of pictures from a good source. Now, you might not be an anatomist and you might not be a physician, but you can look at that and go, oh, okay. Now, the... the, the Scientists in the doc and me could stare at this picture for a really, really long time because it's like legitimately beautiful. We have a med student in the second row who's shaking her head because she knows, right? I mean, you just look at this and go, okay, that's a source that I can probably listen to, right? Like, okay, that makes sense. Like, I might not know all of the details, but, but that, that looks like a good source. You know, when we think back to the first few pictures that I showed, they're a little bit comical and they they might make us laugh a little bit. And at at their best, they are unhelpful. But the problem is, is at their worst, they're dangerous. Because our source matters. You know, I still see this today in my practice. I'll have patients who come in and sometimes literally stacks of papers that they have downloaded off of the internet. And Man, they are well-meaning. They are very passionate. They want to feel better, and I understand that. They're just doing everything they can to get right and have a diagnosis. And, you know, some of the information they have is, is actually really good, and then some of it is just terrible. Some of it's maybe just not very useful. Some of it's dangerous. And as it turns out, it, it's probably not good to try and be your own doctor and let Dr. Google help you figure out what's going on. And as it turns out, when it comes to our eternal destiny, it probably is not good to have a bad source of information. You know, I've got this book. This is a super meaningful book to me. My family will vouch for that. I I do not have very many textbooks from medical school because really so much of it is outdated even 20 years later. And there's better sources now. But man, this one, you better not throw this one away. This one has moved across country many times. When Ashley got into nursing school, I was like, do you, do you, do you want to use my netter? Like, I'll let you. But you have to promise you take really good care of it. And I open it up and there's little places where I see that I've highlighted or marked and there's probably still some formaldehyde stains on here. 
It's sanitary, I promise. You know, and sometimes I was just pondering today, like, why is this book so meaningful to me? Because it really is. Like, the sappy part of me could tear up just walking through this book. My kids know it's true. My wife is laughing hysterically. And you know what struck me today is, I know why this book is, is so meaningful to me. And it's because this book told me who I was. This book told me I was in med school. And my lifelong dream of being a doc was kind of come to pass. And, and when I look at these pages, I, I feel that again. I'd be like, I did that. I felt like that was what I was supposed to do. And I worked really hard for it. And God opened those doors and he helped me. And this book tells me that. And it reminds me of that. I have another book here with me. Hmm. So it means a lot to me too. I've had a lot of these over the years. This one is probably, oh man, I open it up and, you know, you never know what's going to come out. Notes from something and funerals I've attended and sermons I've preached. And I think this one means the most to me because this was the Bible that my wife gave me probably, I don't know, 18 years ago now. And man, I grew up in the church all my life. This was the Bible that I really dug into. This Bible, more than anything else, changed my heart in a deeper way. This Bible told me who I was. This is a good source. This is a source that confirms to me what my destiny is and can confirm to you what your destiny is. Because yes, hell's a real place. Hell is a scary place. Hell is a place we don't even want to think about. That's how terrible it is. And that's why we don't maybe think about it as much as we could. But this horse, this tells us who we are. It tells us, yes, there is a default destination for all of us. But we have an ultimate source and we have an ultimate hope. And that hope is Jesus. That hope is what he did when he died on the cross. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you have done doesn't matter what your hopes or dreams are and what brokenness you have. We have an ultimate source that tells us what our destiny can be in Him. You know, having a good doctrine of hell is helpful because it brings me health, it brings me an eternal perspective, and it brings the world help because it brings me an earthly purpose. Penn Gillette of the, I don't know if you call him a comedy team or a magician team, Penn and Teller, an interesting person to quote in a service such as this, because he's a famous atheist, but he has some surprising insight into this topic, because here's what Penn has to say. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and that people could be going to hell, 
and you think that it's not worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them? Whoa. If that doesn't hit you, I don't know what will. So why did Jesus talk about hell so much? And why did Paul and John and Jude, why did they talk about it? Peter. Because they loved us so much that they couldn't avoid it. They couldn't avoid the hard topic because they were so passionate about the kingdom of God. They were so passionate about what Jesus had done for us that they couldn't stop talking about it because they knew. And when we know, it changes us. Because when we know, we go. When we know, we tell. When we know, we make sure that others know too. You know, as we close, I want to go back to the very first scripture that I read. Philippians 3, verses 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an ultimate source. We have an ultimate hope. And that hope is Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? You know, at the end of every experience, we like to give an opportunity for anyone who does not know Jesus and isn't walking a life serving him to have a chance to turn their life over to him. And I, I think that a service such as this, it, man, you, it screams for it, I think. So if you're here and you're hearing this maybe the first time or you've heard it before but don't know that you've really committed your life and turned your life over to Jesus and, and you are struck by the two destinies that face you in eternity and, and you want to make that step of faith and cross the line of faith and dedicate your life to serving Jesus, I want to give you that chance. I'm going to count to three. And on the, on the count of three, just be so bold as to put your hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're not going to bring you up to the front. I just want to pray with you. On the count of three, one, two, three. Just raise your hand right now. You want to serve Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. We'll just go a moment longer. Would you all pray after me as we join these that are giving their life to Jesus? Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you that I can have a destiny in you. Thank you that I can have a destiny in you. I give my life to you today. I give my life to you today. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Now say this boldly. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus.